This audio is a presentation of Westminster Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Hamill, South Dakota. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at hamillopc.com. That's H-A-M-I-L-L-O-P-C dot com. Our scripture reading tonight comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 10. John 10, and I will be reading the first 21 verses. Hear now the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but comes up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father." Therefore there was division again among the Jews because of these sayings. Many of them said, He has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Father, as we come to your word again this evening, I pray that you would open our eyes, open our minds, open our hearts to receive it, that we would know our good shepherd, Jesus Christ, 
is distinguished from false shepherds who come to kill and steal and destroy. Pray that you would draw in all your sheep from among the nations, that we may together love and worship and serve you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we return once again tonight to the Gospel of John. We are in the final installment of the current disputation between Jesus and the scribes and Pharisees in Jerusalem. Now, this began with Jesus teaching that he was the light of the world, a teaching that was powerfully illustrated by healing a man who had been born blind in chapter 9. But now there is a final piece of teaching in this section, using a different analogy to describe the person and work of Christ, the work of a shepherd. Maybe some of you have worked with sheep. I haven't seen too many of them around here, but I may just not be looking in the right place. I know back in Wyoming, where I grew up, there were sheep herders and there were cattlemen. They kind of had a sordid history between each other. They used to not get along. They'd have wars over land and things like that back in the 1800s. But at any rate, there are still sheep around, and the keeping of sheep is a common practice. I remember once when I was a kid, my parents left town, and the family that they had me stay with went to a sheep shearing. I was pretty young. I don't remember much, but there was a lot of noise and a lot of bad smells, and eventually I ended up in the house playing video games, which that would happen a lot in my childhood. But at any rate, sheep, they're not known for being the most strong or graceful animals. I described this not too long ago when we looked at Psalm 23, but just by way of review, sheep have a bad tendency to wander off and to get themselves hurt or killed. They're also kind of picky on what conditions they'll rest in or eat in or drink in. And yet sheep are a very common biblical metaphor used to describe God's people, just as we've already seen a few other places tonight, how God is a shepherd is a very common analogy for God. Now the difficulties of having sheep necessitate shepherding. Sheep can't be left alone for prolonged periods of time. They have to have caretakers who live with them, keep them from predators and other dangers that they like to find. And Jesus describes himself in this passage tonight as a shepherd and distinguishes himself and his work from that of others. So we will look at this text tonight in three points. First, we see the shepherd's word in verses 1 through 6. Sheep know and follow the voice of the one who is truly the shepherd. Second, we see the shepherd's work. In verses 7 through 16, what does the good shepherd do? And how is this distinct from what others do? And then third, the shepherd's will. In verses 17 through 21, the shepherd must suffer. And what is his role in that? And what is that for? So again, we have the shepherd's word, work, and will. So first we look at the shepherd's word in verses 1 through 6. Now, in this section, Jesus presses a distinction that he has already made in previous places. The sheep who are truly sheep, those who truly belong to Jesus, hear the word. They hear the voice of their shepherd. 
And those who would be shepherds over them must do so according to the word. Jesus is distinguishing true and false shepherds and how they interact with the sheep. He illustrates this in verses 1 and 2. He talks about those who do not enter the sheepfold by the door and how they are thieves and robbers. Now, this can seem like a rather abrupt pivot from where we've been. We've been looking at Jesus at the light of the world and how this was demonstrated in the episode with the blind man. But now, almost abruptly, Jesus pivots to this shepherding metaphor. But the connection is that these scribes and Pharisees that Jesus has just accused of sin, because they claim to be the teachers and leaders of Israel, but do not receive his word, they are now being condemned as false shepherds. They are the ones who climb into the sheepfold some other way than the way they are supposed to. William Hendrickson, commenting on this passage, he describes what a sheepfold in this time would have looked like. It would have been a roofless enclosure in an open field. It would basically be like a corral with stone walls, or sometimes it could be in a cave. The purpose of it was, of course, a safe place to lodge and store the sheep, and it would be furnished with a sturdy door that would need to be locked, and only the shepherd would be able to access it. So that would mean a thief, so one who would steal the sheep, or a robber, one who would steal the sheep using violence, would have to get in some other way. So why are the scribes and Pharisees thieves and robbers? Well, this is, once again, to illustrate what is perhaps the most fundamental point of John's Gospel, the one that we come back to over and over again. No Jesus, no God. No Jesus, no salvation. If many years down the road, when you have forgotten 99% of the content of this sermon series, as you probably will have by then, I probably will have by then, remember this, no Jesus, no God. No Jesus, no salvation. Now this comes up here because these scribes and Pharisees are supposed to be the under-shepherds of God's people. They are supposed to be their ministers, their pastors, essentially. What would good under-shepherds have done at the coming of the chief shepherd? They would have received him. They would have honored him. They would have worshipped him and recognized his rightful place as Israel's Lord and teacher and their Lord and teacher. But instead, not only do these scribes and Pharisees not do this, they actively seek to deceive the sheep, those being God's people, to turn them against their good shepherd, to take them away from him and to take him away from them, to conspire to put the good shepherd to death. That's the thieving. That's the robbery. But contrast this with what the good shepherd does. He comes in peace. He comes by the door. The door is open to him because he is known. And the sheep know the voice of their shepherd. They will follow him. We've seen this in the previous chapters. Some of that crowd of the Jews in Jerusalem did believe and receive Jesus. The blind man of chapter 9 heard Jesus' voice and believed and received him even at the cost of being cast out of the synagogue. As a sheep, he follows the shepherd where he leads. And this is what happens in verse 4 of chapter 10. 
The sheep, when it comes time for them to leave the sheepfold, they follow their good shepherd, and he is with them. His word, his voice leads them. This sheepfold, at least as we see beginning here, is talking about Israel. It's talking about the people of God under age. They have been kept. They have been preserved for this very moment. When the good shepherd comes to them after a long, dark night and calls them to follow him out. Yet thieves and robbers seek to keep God's people in darkness and bondage. They seek to steal them away. And yet Christ's sheep will not heed the voice of another. To those God has called, he preserves them unto everlasting life. They will not and cannot ultimately be deceived. We see in verse 6, that this illustration that Jesus uses is not understood by these scribes and Pharisees because their hearts are hardened, because they are not given to believe in Christ's word, they continue in their rebellion. Christ is no shepherd to them. He is an enemy from which they seek to rob and plunder, but they will not succeed. And this brings us to our second point. After the shepherd's word, we come to the shepherd's work. In verses 7 through 16. And so Jesus speaks to them again, and he provides some explanation as to who he is and what roles he plays in this illustration. In verse 7, he says that he is the door of the sheep. He is the only legitimate way for the sheep to go and have life. Others will come by other paths into the sheepfold, they might climb walls and dig holes whatever other schemes they can come up with to get in. But the only way to life and salvation is through the door. And those who are Christ's sheep, those whom the Father has elected unto eternal life and salvation, they will go no other way. They will not heed the voice of the thieves and robbers and their schemes. It can be easy for us to become discouraged as we see so many thieves and robbers in the world. We have false religions in the world. We have Judaism and its continued denial of Christ. We have Islam, Eastern religions like Buddhism and Hinduism, the later cults like Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses. We have the apostasy of Roman Catholicism into a religion of works. We have atheism and agnosticism. The rise of religious nuns, the N-O-N-E nuns, that claim no interest in God whatsoever. All of these groups, all these teachers, all these movements come to kill and steal and destroy, as Jesus says. But the end of all of them is the same, death and condemnation. We see people who seem to be Christians, sometimes falling away to the voices of these false shepherds. But God is in control, and he does not lose any of his own. Those who belong to the shepherd go by the door, and they go no other way. For those we know and love who do not believe, we should continue to speak the gospel to them and pray and hope that they too will hear the shepherd's voice. For the good shepherd has not come to kill and steal and destroy like these others have. He has come so that his sheep might have life and have it in abundance, that they might have it forever. 
But how does the good shepherd do this? Not only is Jesus the door for the sheep, the way they must go, but he is the shepherd who leads them through it. We see this again starting in verse 11. What does the good shepherd do? He gives his life for the sheep. Shepherding can be a dangerous profession. Shepherds have to deal with predators. You can think of the thieves and robbers that come. You can think of animals. You can think, for instance, of David. When he was preparing to fight Goliath, he reflected on how he had to fight lions and bears to protect the sheep that were under his care. There is a not insignificant chance that a shepherd could get killed in the line of duty. But what kind of shepherd is Jesus? One that lays down his life for the sheep. The sheep will live even if, and actually because, the shepherd dies. We have seen before in John that Jesus was described by John the Baptist as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He dies in the place of his people. He dies, as Isaiah wrote, like a lamb led to the slaughter. He is one greater than the sheep, but dies as one like the sheep, as a man, so that his sheep might live. Now this too must be contrasted with the work of others who are not the good shepherd. Jesus talks about the hirelings, not those who own the sheep, but those who are merely employees. What do they do? Well, they have a different kind of relationship to the sheep. The sheep are not their lives and livelihoods. They're not their reason for living and dying if necessary. For hirelings, the sheep are just the means to an end. Hirelings are in it for the pay. They're in it for the benefits. They don't care about the sheep. So when trouble comes, in this case in the form of a wolf, hirelings are gone. Now sadly, there are many hirelings, those who might claim to be shepherds, act like shepherds for a time, but prove false. They prove to be hirelings by their lives and actions. Many abuse the sheep, lie to the sheep, steal from the sheep, exploit the sheep for their own gain. Many are in it for the money. They use the church as a means to achieve a platform, to sell books, to be a celebrity, to make lots of money and live a life of luxury. Others are out to push a particular agenda in the church. They view themselves as soldiers in someone else's war, and they neglect and use the sheep as cannon fodder. They don't really care about the sheep. They don't really care about the sheep's salvation. They don't really care about Christ or his word or his gospel. The hirelings are in it for themselves. We hear again and again how certain pastors and leaders of religious movements fall away after they abuse congregants, steal from churches, commit adultery with congregants, misuse church resources, misuse church discipline, on and on the list goes. Many hirelings are simply cowards. They want the benefits and influence that comes with ministry, but when the wolves come in, those who would kill and steal and destroy, they run away. They shy away. 
they will not be there for the sheep in their time of need. Now, one thing this reminds us to do, we need to pray for shepherds. Those of you here from winter, pray for the shepherd that God would bring to your church, that he would be true and not a hireling. Hamill people, pray for me that I might remain a faithful under-shepherd to the Lord. We see in verse 14 that Jesus, the good shepherd, knows his sheep. He, knows, he knew who those were in the crowd that believed him. He knew this blind man who was called to salvation. And friend, if you are in Jesus Christ, he knows you. But he doesn't just know you, he knows the Father. Again, Jesus is the only way to God. Jesus is God. Jesus, as God the Son, has perfect Trinitarian unity and fellowship with God the Father. False shepherds and wolves might think themselves gods, but they have no fellowship with God. Jesus is the only mediator between God and man. The only way that man might know the Father is through him. Because Jesus is the good shepherd who laid his life down for the sheep. We are all fallen and sinful, and in order for us to be reconciled to God, our debt of sin had to be paid. Our good shepherd not only loves us and cares for us, but he laid down his life for our sins, for our evil. The things for which we deserved to be killed and destroyed, that is how good our shepherd is. And our shepherd has a saving work to accomplish. In verse 16, we see that there are other sheep that need to be brought in. They are not of this fold. Remember that the fold currently in view is Israel. And it is that fold from which the scribes and Pharisees seek to kill and steal and destroy. But there is another fold of sheep, and those two folds must become one. The word of Christ, the voice of the shepherd, goes not only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, but the lost sheep of the Gentiles, so that all might be brought together as one flock under one shepherd. Now this tells us a few things. First, it confirms something we've been looking at in the mornings in Genesis, as it pertains to the promises of a people and a land and a nation to Abraham. I've mentioned in those texts how dispensationalists see this continuing division of the people of God between Jews and Gentiles, and that there is still coming an earthly age where God will deal again particularly with Israel, the nation of Israel, ethnic Israel, in the millennium. But that's not true. We see that from texts like this. The promise of God to Abraham was that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. In Jesus, the promise comes true. The gospel will go forth to the Gentiles, not so that the Jews and Gentiles would continue to be divided, continue to be separated, but that they would be brought together as one flock under one shepherd. The true Israel is the people of God, the people of Christ, in all places, from all ages. In Christ, salvation comes to Jews and Gentiles alike and together. 
But after the shepherd's word and the shepherd's work, we come to our final point, the shepherd's will, in verses 17 through 21. Jesus had mentioned thus far that as the good shepherd, he must lay down his life. But that's not the whole story, as we see in verse 17. He prefaces with this statement. He says, therefore, my father loves me. Now, what does this mean? Does the father love the son? Does the father love Jesus conditionally based upon this? No. The father and the son have perfect and eternal intratrinitarian love. But as it pertains to the economy of redemption, as it pertains to the eternal covenant for the salvation of sinners between the father and the son and the Holy Spirit, the Father loves the Son for His atoning sacrifice. He accepts the work as completed, as meritorious, as sufficient in His sight. The Father loves the Son because He lays down His life, making that perfect sacrifice. But that does not complete the task. That does not fulfill the terms of the covenant. If Jesus merely died for sins, it would not be known, at least not to us, if his work was acceptable before the Father. Not only must the Son lay down his life, but he must take it up again. He must be resurrected. It is in the resurrection that death is conquered, for death must be conquered for our redemption, for our deliverance from death. And we see in verse 18 that Jesus does this laying down and taking up willingly. It is common and it is popular to see Jesus as a victim of evil men and their schemes. It's true in a sense. These scribes and Pharisees, they are evil. They're frequently being rebuked as such. But it should be fairly obvious, even now in Jesus' interactions with them, and in John's description of these events, that Jesus knows where this is all going. He knows that his time had not yet come to suffer and die, but it is coming. He doesn't merely know that as you or I might know in the ways we know things that are in the future. Jesus knows that it is his time is coming because he has purposed that his time will come. Jesus' offering of himself as a sacrifice, he does willingly, he does intentionally, he does deliberately of his own will. See, the scribes and Pharisees would never succeed at arresting and crucifying the Lord of glory if the Lord of glory himself were not willing to undergo that suffering, which was necessary for our redemption. But Jesus not only wills his own suffering, he wills his resurrection, and he is able to bring it about. Jesus says about his life, I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. Jesus gives himself voluntarily over to his enemies, knowing and purposing that they might kill him, but he also knows and purposes that he will be raised. He will raise himself from the dead. What we have here is Jesus foretelling his death and resurrection, but also his will and his purpose in them. He has the power to do it. 
but we also see that this is the command he has received from the Father. Again, in the economy of redemption, God purposes to save a people by the decree of the Father and the suffering work of the Son. The Father and Son act in unity of purpose to bring about this redemption by Christ's death and resurrection. Now this puts the lie to many things that are said and believed about the person and work of Christ. Again, Jesus was not merely a passive victim of evil deeds when he suffered and died. He went willingly. He went voluntarily knowing that it would be his suffering that saved. But also, it was not as though Jesus was a good, kind God seeking to appease the wrath of a cruel, vindictive Old Testament God, as many false teachings believe. No, the Father and the Son acted with unity of will and unity of purpose. This was always the plan decreed from the foundations of the world. Jesus did not just come to save Christians by Christianity while Jews could continue to be saved through Judaism. Christ did his work to bring all the sheep together under one sheepfold. Now this all sounds well and good in the big picture of things, but what does it mean for us? What does it mean for you? Jesus Christ is the Good Shepherd. He is the door. He is the only way to life and salvation. All those other religions and ideas, like the ones I listed earlier, they're the works of thieves and robbers. Only Jesus, only the Good Shepherd saves. How? By making his sheep earn it and do it while he watches and judges? No. By what he himself willingly and purposely did in accord with the Father's will. The good shepherd saves his sheep by laying down his life and taking it up again. He suffered the death that our sins deserved and was raised from the dead to put the lie to death. He did this so those who are his sheep, those who hear his voice and believe, have everlasting life. Perhaps you're here tonight as a sheep who, for the first time, hears the voice of your shepherd and recognizes it. Jesus Christ died to save sinners, and Jesus Christ is for you. Repent of your sins, confess your sins, and believe in your heart this good shepherd and what he has done for you, and you will be saved. Perhaps tonight you are already in the sheepfold, but you sense the thieves and the robbers around. Maybe they're trying to come for you. Maybe they're trying to come for those you love. Maybe your faith has been shaken. Maybe you see others around you who do not believe. Jesus' words are true. If you are his sheep, if you hear his voice, he will save. He will preserve you to everlasting life. That is the hope of the gospel. Though we face many struggles and dangers in this life, we have life and we have hope because our good shepherd laid his life down and took it up again 
to make the way for us. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this word that you have given us. We thank you for the great and glorious gospel truth communicated in it, that your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, is our good shepherd who has laid his life down for us and taken it up again. I pray that all who are gathered here tonight would believe this gospel, have the hope of everlasting life. I pray that you would protect your church, protect your people from thieves and robbers and wolves, and that you would assure and comfort those who are struggling, who are feeling attacked, feeling like the invaders are coming. And I pray that all of us who are your people here tonight, uh, knowing this gospel truth, that we would be faithful to be salt and light and take Jesus into a lost and dying world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio presentation of Westminster Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Hamill, South Dakota. For more information, you can visit our website, hamillopc.com. That's H-A-M-I-L-L-O-P-C dot com.